Would you like to accelerate your career and reach your full potential in just minutes a day? Welcome to the LeadX Show with New York Times bestselling author and Inc. 500 entrepreneur, Kevin Cruz. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the LeadX Leadership Show. I am Kevin Cruz, New York Times bestselling author of Great Leaders Have No Rules, 15 Secret Successful People Know About Time Management, and the book that started it all, We. Did you miss me? Because I sure missed you. It turns out being the founder and CEO of LeadX, uh, it takes a lot of time, takes a lot of energy to run a, a startup tech company. Can you believe we've been around for three years now? But I'm excited to be back. We used to do this show five days a week. We used to do a daily interview. And of course, as LeadX grew, as we started to become a larger company, we just couldn't sustain this daily drop. So we took a pause and we're moving into more of a seasons approach. But we've got a whole lot of great interviews coming up with some giants in the world of leadership. And in fact, today's interview, it's one of my favorites because it's with one of my leadership heroes. And I'm not even going to hold it back. It's with Doug Conant, former CEO of Campbell Soup. We're talking about his brand new book. And before we dive into it, I do want to urge you, because it has been a while, if you haven't already checked out or if you haven't checked out recently, the LeadX app, go to leadx.org, click the link personal, or even easier, just download the app. It's got a free trial. I think it's a seven-day free trial. So Android, iPhone, go to the app store, download it, and check it out. We've got hundreds of book summaries. We have dozens of webinars in the archive. We have many hundreds of micro-learning videos to teach you how to communicate better, to engage your team members, to conquer your day from a productivity standpoint, how to give effective feedback, how to delegate, how to do one-on-one -on -one meetings. And there's a built-in personality assessment that you'd have to spend $100 for if you got it anywhere else. And AI-powered Coach Amanda is going to give you advice, will send you behavioral nudges so that you can stand out and get ahead at work. If you haven't already downloaded this app, I mean, it is just mind-blowing. So check it out. And if you've got 10 or more employees, get in touch with us because we can give a special discount group rate for all of your team members, for all of your managers. Now, now that that commercial is out of the way, those of you who've been following along on my journey for a while know that one of my heroes is Doug Conant. I'm an employee engagement junkie. That's what a lot of my books have been written about. And I think Doug, his time at Campbell Soup, it's the all-time best case study for employee engagement. He took an iconic company, Campbell Soup, that was on the verge of bankruptcy. He was told they had the worst employee engagement scores in the entire Fortune 500. And in a decade, he saved the company, the company began to thrive, and he went from worst to first. They ended up with the best employee engagement scores in the entire company. So it shows that you can increase employee engagement with some hard work and some patience, and employee engagement drives incredible business results. It's not often that you actually get leadership wisdom from a Fortune 500 CEO. I mean, there's a lot of great professors out there. There's a lot of, you know, inspirational thinkers and some consultants out there. But Doug's the real deal. I mean, we're talking about thousands of employees and decades of experience. And he couldn't be a nicer guy. So anyway, enough gushing about Doug Cohn. You'll hear a longer introduction into the program. But enjoy. It's good to be back. 
Now, Doug, when we produce the show, we'll do an official bio read on, you know, for you. Um, we're just going to dive in and, and, and chat. I think my listeners, uh, and we're already recording, so, um, you know, my listeners, they do know that I reference you all the time, but in case I've got a new listener, someone that's um, not as familiar, obviously, you're president and CEO of Campbell Soup Company, credited with really saving that company, turning it around former president of Nabisco Foods, former chairman of Avon. You've served on several boards. Today, you're the founder CEO of Conant Leadership. By the way, everybody, that's conantleadership.com to get more information, C-O-N-A-N-T leadership.com. Also author of the best-selling book, Touchpoints. And you referenced um, the first time we at least met in person was I, I attended your, your Blueprint Boot Camp, which many people talk about, it doesn't just change your approach to leadership at work. It really does uh, change your trajectory in life a bit because your leadership model, I always say, if leadership is influence, we're leading everywhere and all the time, whether we want to be or not, we're influencing. And I will just give a plug on the Blueprint Bootcamp for all the people who are out there. And I've, I've sent you know, a lot of people to the, to the bootcamp based on my own experience. Where else are you going to get personal leadership training and then ongoing mentoring from a former Fortune 500 CEO? You, you literally cannot do that anywhere. So anyway, conantleadership.com for all of that. And the only thing I'm mad about, Doug, is um, I won't say how much uh, the investment is uh, to, to attend the boot camp, but people can get a whole lot of that for about 20 bucks with this awesome new book you just uh, released. I would agree, and, and and you were so early on in the process. It wasn't even called the Blueprint Boot Camp at that point. You are you you're you're sort of prehistoric. I was a guinea uh, pig, uh, and uh, but it it's very very consistent with the program you and I did. We have now rebranded it the Blueprint Boot Camp to tie explicitly to the book, and that first session is going on in uh, in April of this year. So. Uh, that's a fun exercise because I get to connect with interesting people and be helpful to them in, in a deeply personal way. I, I love doing. Now, Doug, before we focus more on the blueprint, I do want to start at a higher level because when all of our listeners go to your website, conantleadership.com, they're going to see that what you guys are about is focusing on leadership that works in the 21st century. And part of that leadership that works, you always have a very practical approach, but are you saying we should lead differently or that leadership is different now in the 21st century? Well, yeah, yes. Uh, I think there's some timeless principles, but the reality is the world's changing. You know, I remember Warren Bennis, one of my mentors. And in fact, the, uh, he wrote uh, our first book was, part of the Warren Bennis series of books, I think it was in the late 1980s, 1987, I think, he called it a VUCA world. Volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. VUCA. And now it is a VUCA world on steroids accelerated by technology. Everything is changing and it's changing at a rapid rate. In the workplace, diversity reigns. When I started, there were two generations of white male workers <laughs> leading the workforce. Today, there are six different generations in the workforce. Both genders are increasingly well represented. Ethnicity abounds. 
and all kind, and we've gone global. And so we have a completely different environment going on. And largely due to technology, we're asking people to do more with less. And managers used it. When I didn't know what to do when I first started, I just went and asked my manager. Today you can't do that because the manager doesn't know how to do your job. <laughs> it's up to you. And so the world has changed. The world of work has changed. So I, you know, I think it's not unreasonable to say, well, you probably couldn't lead like you did in the 20th century and get consistently strong results in the 21st century. So what we found is you have to develop more nuanced leadership skills. It's more around, you always have, there are three things you have to have, IQ, EQ, and what I call FQ. You, you have to have IQ to, to really think through complex problems and contribute on demand. EQ is increasingly important because you're managing relationships, more so than ever before. And many of those relationships are virtual. So the challenge of leading in the 21st century, I think, is profoundly different. And, uh, you know, this whole leadership life, and you know this, Kevin, is very Darwinian. You either grow with the evolution of things or you die. And as you know, in boot camp, we suggest you choose growth. It beats the alternative. <laughs> and so uh, what we're trying to do is have a practical conversation around leadership in the 21st century. And I've got to say, most of what I see and most of what I read about is inspirational and it's a collection of platitudes. But then I say, okay, what am I going to do Monday morning? And how in the world am I going to implement this in the middle of my cockamamie life where I barely have time to see my kids in the morning and kiss them goodnight at night before I get back on email we need a whole new paradigm for thinking about leadership and for learning and developing our leadership skills on our own, more so now than ever before. Here's where your book, The Blueprint, Six Practical Steps to Lift Your Leadership to New Heights, is unique because as you mentioned, most of the leadership titles that come out year after year, right? Every year there's a whole new hundred titles. Many of them are inspirational or many of them are very prescriptive. Like here is the model to follow to be a successful leader. Yours says, there's not one answer, there's not one model, I'm gonna teach you how to do what's right for you. And the six steps, which I'm gonna read them off because we don't have time to go deep into all of them in this brief conversation. Step one, envision, the power of intention and purpose. Step two, reflect, dig deep. Step three, study, lay your groundwork. Step four, plan, design your leadership model. Step five, practice, build your leadership. And step six, improve, reinforce your foundation. These aren't steps saying this is the one right way to lead. It's about discovering it. It's about your own journey, right? Absolutely. I mean, that concept of the blueprint, the concept of the book was inspired by uh, the concept of an architect wanting to build a, a, a magnificent building and creating the blueprint for that building and laying a very strong foundation so that that building could survive all the forces of mother nature. This concept of a blueprint is for each individual leader to build a blueprint so that they can have a magnificent leadership experience with an increasingly strong foundation. 
And I think every leader is different. And every leader is inspired uh, by their life story, their life experiences that profoundly influence both their aspirations and the way, and the way they show up every day. To think one model fits all, I think is fool's gold. Uh, I've done hundreds of these, I've worked with hundreds of people, probably in the thousands by now, of people designing their own leadership models. And as you know, in our group that we worked in together, no two are anywhere near the same. But they speak to that individual in a profoundly powerful way. But that's not where you stop, you keep fine tuning your model and what works for you, and then we help you kind of go back into your environment and marry your model with the expectations of that environment so it works for you, but it also works for the people with whom you work. Uh, and the spirit of this is that it's a dynamic experience and that you iterate through it. The one thing I would say as it relates to that is that we tell people to forget perfection. You never get there. It's not about the pursuit of perfection. It's about enlightened iteration. As you keep learning and you go through your model and you revisit, well, did that work? How, did, how can I do that better? And uh, it, it's, a, it's a process that I think is in step with our times in that the people I'm working with now can sort of get locked in over two days and then they're on their own and they can get going with it. And then through bootcamp, we're available for a year to follow up as they need it. Now, I wanted, you, you talked about the leadership model, step four, design your leadership model. And I, I wanted to dig deeper onto that, into that, because I think that was the most powerful part of the experience for me. And again, is one of the more unique things. Uh, I'm not sure everybody really understands out there, well, what do they mean by model? Like, what, what is he even referring to? And the fact that you're asking us to create, like literally draw <laughs> something that, that fits after doing all this homework and your book is filled with questions and activities. It's really a, a very detailed workbook to get to that point. So talk about what you mean by a model and maybe share some of the variety of models, these crazy models that people are coming up with. Yeah, and uh, to that end, I'll just put a plug in. Uh, if you go to our website and you click on Blueprint, you can see sample models that people have created. And uh, so you can see organization models that have been created doing our work, and you can see individual models that have been created, and they're all very different, but they all speak in a powerful way to whoever the author of that model is. And the concept of a model is, uh, I don't wanna make it overstated, it could just be a collection of words, but at a high level, it's just, how do you wanna walk in the world as a leader? That's the question you're trying to answer. Uh, my wife, I'll use her model, uh, just to be illustrative. Her model is travel well, take responsibility, add value, welcome everyone, and uh, or, or travel, travel well, take responsibility, add value, enjoy life, welcome everyone, live and love. And, uh, and, and, that, and that sort of is her true north. And whenever she goes into an, a situation, she's using that as the paradigm with how she wants to guide her life. Uh, and so, it's, it's in a sense, it's, it's creating true north for you 
with words and concepts that speak to you. Uh, we, had, we had a master gardener take our class. And her leadership model is a garden. It's a metaphor, but it's a garden. And she wants the plants to bloom and grow. And she's got she's to prune them at times. She's got to make sure they're exposed to the proper elements and get nurtured and through water and sun. And, and she, the garden became her metaphor for her model, which she then shared with her people. And they all got it. And they all knew it was vintage her. Okay, we have a neuroscientist in, in New York City. She's brilliant. And her model is a brain. <laughs> and it's up on her wall. And she talks about the synapses and how it all works and how she thinks about it. I have another brilliant doctor in New York who is a Star Trek fan. And he's going off into worlds unknown. And uh, everyone understands where he's headed, what he values, and, and, the, and they come along on the adventure with him. It becomes a metaphor for how he wants to walk in the world as a leader and how he wants to invite people to travel with him. Uh, that's all it is. But it's important because most of us have never spent enough time reflecting on how we want to walk in the world. We're so cued to, to trying to be responsible. What do you want me to do? That's right. You know, every, everyone who's gone into an organization has a performance review. And that performance review says these are the 10 things that matter. So you, you start focusing on those. And you lose sight of, of yourself. And what we do in this, with this book is we help you get in touch with what matters most, which I believe in, in the book we say, you know, your life story is your leadership story. You need to get in touch with it. And we're going to help you. You know, when we wrote the book, I did not set out to write a workbook. I, in fact, the second half of our book is 10 traits, I think, that are relevant for the 21st century, but they're like everybody else's 10 traits. As we got into it, we said, you know, if we really intend to be helpful here, we need to give some people a roadmap for how they can get from where they are to where they want to be that is manageable in a, in a VUCA world where they have no time to do anything. Let's face it, people are swamped, right? They're, they're swamped. And they, they, they want to be better leaders, but you know, they want to shoot the lights out, but they barely have time to turn the lights on. And, and so this book, it, it's filled with, uh, it does have the first 100, 130 pages have, or have a workbook nature to it. But I'll tell you, you spend, six to nine hours working through that and you're done and then you have a chance to act on it very quickly and within a week you're up and running and you can plug it into your life without having to change a thing you know my wife and i at times at the end of every holiday season are talking about our january diets <laughs> and uh we all have one and here we're going to be so much better and then life gets in the way right and by February, he said, I got to let that go. There's just no way I can live like that. And uh, that's, in my experience, that's the way leadership development tends to work for most people. They have great intentions when they're there. And I've been to all the classes. I've taught a lot. And then they're going to go take the hill. And then about three weeks in, they're saying, how can I, I don't have time to take the hill. Well, we designed this explicitly to give you time to take the hill on your terms 
in, in a way that speaks uniquely to you. And so that's, this is very tailored to be a unique blueprint for each individual person to find their true north and to bring it to life. As you know, when you finish, I, we were looking for one signature practice that you would take back with you the next week and start to bring your model the way you want to show up to life with others. And as people start doing that, they say, you know, I can do this. I just have to have a bite-sized approach that will fit into my just wacko life, right? There's so much good stuff there. I want to um, highlight a couple things. One, again, the idea and what you'll get out of going through this process is a model that's um, personal and kind of fun. You know, the gardener whose model is the garden, the, the neuroscientist whose model turned out to be the brain. And so, for yourself as a leader, it's going to give you this, this fun anchor that you're going to remember your own, you know, model your path. But then a big step at the end is declare it, share it with others. And again, instead of it being just a hodgepodge of here's my leadership beliefs, oh, I'm so authentic, whatever it is, it's giving everybody on your team a model to now remember what you're about from, from, from a leader, a leadership standpoint. Um, you mentioned the second part of the book. I was going to I was going to mention it because this is really two books in one. So if you thought getting an entire two-day workshop with, with Doug Conant for 20 bucks in a book is an amazing deal, you get a whole second book, part two manifesto, high performance, abundance, trust, purpose, courage, integrity, grow or die. There's more. And this is like a master class in, in each of these topics. I want to make sure everybody knows that that's part of the book as well. Doug, I want to take you back though. We don't, we're not going to go through all those. We talked about model. I'm going to go back to the very first step in vision, the power of intention and purpose. And um, it was, uh, it's, it's obviously a great place to start, right? The power of intention and, and our purpose. You say something that was very profound to me. You talk about the purpose of like, how do we build this bridge between our resume and our eulogy? Tell me more about that. Well, that, credit to David Brooks. Uh, his, uh, he's written since I saw his TED talk, he did a TED talk, should you live for your resume or your eulogy? And it was based on the teachings, to give all credit here, of uh, an amazing rabbi and philosopher, Joseph Soloveitchik. So David talks about how you can be seduced into living for your resume because you get all these tangible things, a new car, a new house, a raise, a bonus. And you can start to be seduced by that at the expense of what he would call your eulogy virtues, which are the, the ones, the things you'd like people to talk about when it's that time for them to conduct your eulogy. And they're not going to, you're not going to want them talking about your new car, your new house, or your bonus. And so he, he contrasts that. And I, I found that to be incredibly powerful. He wrote a wonderful book called The Second Mountain, uh, published, I think, last year. Uh, that is that concept. Uh, and as I was looking at it, he was treating it as an either-or approach. Are you going to live for your resume or your eulogy? And, and I approach it differently, slightly. I, I, what he did was magnificent. He's such a brilliant man. But I, I, I talk about how you want to begin to think about living for your resume and your eulogy. And you want to be approaching this. The best leaders that I have encountered in my lifetime and studied are people who were more integrated, 
who were who were living life fully, and that life was exactly what they wanted people to be talking about that with when they retired and moved on. And so we're what we encourage people to do when they think about their purpose is is don't feel as if it's an either or choice. Like I either want to work or I want to be Mother Teresa. Uh, it's it's how you can embrace all of this in a way that works uniquely well for you. Uh, and so this notion of a bringing this abundance mentality to your sense of purpose. My purpose is, uh, when I talk about my purpose in leadership, it's, it's uh, to help build high trust, high performing teams that honor people, uh, defy the critics and thrive in the face of adversity. I want to build, I want to deliver on high, I want to help, I want to deliver on high performance. I want to do it in a high trust way, all of which I would love to have as part of my eulogy but I want to do it by honoring people. And in my case, I'm like a moth drawn to a flame. If there's a broken company, I want to work on it or a, a challenging idea. And, and I love adversity because I think it can bring out the best in my, me and my team if we approach it uh, in a high trust way. So that sense of purpose and living for your resume and your eulogy is a powerful idea and I think, I'll tell you, that really connects with the graduates of today, the millennials mm. who hunger to live for a higher purpose, but also they want to be successful in a material way. And those two aren't mutually exclusive. You just have to be creative and you have to be pretty thoughtful about how you attack it. You know, as what I've encountered with in all these classes is most of us, and this is my own life too, most of us lead, lead life by the seat of our pants, right? As leaders, we're just reacting to what comes at us and we do the best we can in the moment and it's seat of the pants. And when I started my career, I could sort of get away with that because the pace of things was more ponderous. There were more hierarchies involved. There were more checks and balances. You weren't doing everything on demand. Uh, today, seat of the pants isn't good enough. You've actually got to be more intentional with your approach, not all the time. We all have seat of the pants decisions, but you've got to be more intentional. You've got to be more thoughtful. If you really want to navigate sort of some pretty stormy seas here. And so this model, this notion of having a purpose that helps point you to where you want to go and living for your resume and your eulogy and then creating a model that speaks to that, that can be your true north, and then challenging you to actually bring that to life. Because most of the work I've been exposed to is a, is a lot of wonderful concepts that you can't do. Uh, this is all about doing mm -hmm. and uh, bringing, the, bringing this work to life. Doug, I want to, um, with some of the minutes we have left, another reason why you're, you're uh, a leadership hero to me is your focus on gratitude. I start every morning with a personal gratitude practice. I only have two pieces of artwork in my home, actual artwork. One is the word gratitude. <laughs> um, and you, you mentioned in the book, and we're certainly uh, everybody knew before who was familiar with you, during your years at Campbell, you wrote, you hand wrote 30,000 thank you notes. Yeah. Tell us why and tell us how. 
<laughs> well, uh, first of all, and look, uh, nobody care, nobody I've worked with cares more about people than I do and is more on board with the gratitude train. But let me tell you, we can go down the, and I, I do want to get into this, but you know, uh, there's an edge to all this too. Uh, it's not all let's hold hands and say thank you and sing Kumbaya. We also have to perform mm. and, uh, and we have to deliver. Otherwise, we really don't have the opportunity to lead very long. So, you know, as, as you know, I believe in being tough-minded on standards and tender-hearted with people. And so we're going to talk about being tender-hearted with people, but the reality is we've got to do both, right? We have to maintain high standards, make sure we perform. People and performance, it's both. The gratitude notion grew out of that in the sense of those notes that I wrote. I, uh, I found every organization I've been in, I found we're excellent critical thinking machines and we find what's wrong and we try and fix it. We're not very good at finding what's right and celebrating it. That's true everywhere I've been and every company I've gone into. Uh, and at this point, that's hundreds of companies. Um, and so what I wanted to do, even in the most broken companies I was in, eight out of 10 things being done were right. Okay. But there were some big wrong things. <laughs> but so what I tried to do when I got to Campbell, we were struggling and I wanted to, we had to deal with what was wrong, but I wanted to also celebrate what was right and signal to people what was right. So I started writing handwritings 10 to 20, very short notes a day. Uh, and I'll describe how in a minute, celebrating what was right. They weren't gratuitous. It wasn't saying happy birthday or have a nice mm. day. It might have, a few of them might have. But basically saying, I see you deliver this project on time under, under budget. Thank you. I see you raised your employee engagement score. Nice job. They were related to our agenda as a company. And what the process I created was I had a two and a half hour commute to and from work every day. And so uh, my assistant would print everything off the portal regarding performance that day. I would, it, I mean, it was paper. This was a paper process because I wanted it to be personal and handwritten. And, uh, and I would uh, go through all of it on the way home and on the way back to work every morning, the two and a half hours in, I would have picked 10 to 20 of them that I wanted to handwrite notes. I would literally write notes on the printout that showed the performance. Oh, nice. And, and, and say, and circle the number and say, wow, you know, plus 42% versus plan. Great work. And, uh, and so I did 10 to 20 of those a day over 10 years. And it actually, I think it was a Forbes interview where the, uh, I think it was Forbes where somebody said, well, how many notes did you write? when I was retiring. And I said, I don't know. <laughs> and we sat there and said, well, let's do the math. I, I always did 10 to 20 a day to employees. I did others to other people. Right. But to employees, I did 10 to 20 a day. And I did them six days a week. And it, if you multiply that out over 10 years, uh, including va with vacation built in, it's well over 30,000. And we only had 20,000 employees. But it was a discipline that was celebrating what was right while we did all the tough-minded things to deal with what was wrong. I mean, the same time I was doing this, 
we let go 300 of the top 350 leaders of the company at the same time. And I was thinking, my God, I'm going to fail at this job. You know, this place is going to blow up. I had never been a CEO before for this job. And here I am making tough calls on people. And I'm thinking, well, this isn't going to last very long. But interestingly, uh, the more we made tough calls at the top, the higher employee engagement went because everybody in the company knew we had to make those difficult calls. And they saw that we were paying attention to what they were doing too. So I'm a big believer in, and by the way, that grows directly out of my, my personal leadership model. At the heart of my leadership model in that book is there are three axles. It's honor people and inspire trust are the first two. And the third axle, the third wrap around that axle is clarify higher purpose. So these thank you notes were designed to bring to life every day my leadership model with the people with whom I lived and worked. You mentioned the, um, you know, turning over uh, 300 of the 350 top managers. That's a part of your employee engagement story. A lot of people don't know or don't, uh, I think, reflect on, but it goes back to, and I think, you know, this is the best leadership advice in a single sentence I've ever seen. You must be tough-minded on standards and tender-hearted with people. And so, at the same time we're doing, we're talking about gratitude and the thank you notes. If you look at Campbell Soup employee engagement scores going up over the 10 years, there was a, a big jump at one point. And I asked you, <laughs> hey, what, what caused this big jump? And you're like, after giving them time and feedback and training and ultimatums, we had to let go all these managers who weren't good people, but they're not good at engaging their team members. And so that's a side of some high standards and holding people accountable to them. But we had to give it time. We'd, everybody had to have a fair chance to contribute. Right. But look, Kevin, this is real world. If you're a CEO, you got three years. The first year, it's the other guy's fault. <laughs> the second year, it's our fault, but we're learning. The third year, you own it. And the fourth year, you're not going to be around So the, if you're not headed north. So the reality is, and, and this is true of any leader in any organization, my personal opinion, you've probably got three years to get this going in the right direction. And as Jim Collins would tell you, what's the first thing you do? You get the right people on the bus. And, and so you've got to wrestle this to the ground in your first three years. I believe you've got to give it time so that everybody has an opportunity to get on the bus. But then you've got to be decisive. And, uh, that's the other side of this equation. Uh, and uh, I celebrate people all the time. It's my favorite thing to do. How can you not enjoy uh, celebrating contributions? But uh, there's another side to this that you have to bring to the table. Are you really not doing your job well? You're not taking care of all your stakeholders. And we made tough calls on the top level people, but we had another 20,000 people working there who were counting us on, on me and our team to make the tough calls. So uh, it was to the, it, you know, using Joe Baccarato's uh, thinking at Harvard Business School, we were, it was a greater good there. You mentioned having a, a three-year plan, uh, th which all CEOs have to have at Campbell's, and it reminded me, 
I'm just going to tease our listeners with it. it one of my favorite anecdotes is you talk about how your first interview there going for the job didn't go so well. So you came up with a, a three-year plan and, and the second interview uh, went better. And I thought it was a funny and enlightening story. And actually, uh, for all the listeners, just reading that anecdote, you can apply that in your own future interviews for promotions and jobs to take control of the, the situation. Well, you only have so much time, right? In an interview or in a moment, you've got to be prepared to seize the moment. And, uh, and if, if it's an interview, you've got to differentiate yourself versus the other candidates in a way that's authentic to you. And, uh, and in my case, those thank you notes I wrote to our employees started out when I was looking for a job and I was a terrible interview <laughs> when I, after I got fired. And my, my outplacement counselor said, you have to do something to get a job. You, had, you need a signature practice. And I decided to handwrite thank you notes to everybody I met and deliver them to them that day. And that's how I did my job search when I was fired in 1984. Uh, and I carried it through all the way to Campbell Soup Company. So you need to find ways to differentiate yourself in a way that is authentic and that can stand up to scrutiny because everybody will be waiting for you to compromise on what you've committed to doing. Now, Doug, I'm going to end on a, another selfish note. I got a personal question I'm going to ask you. Yeah. You, dis, you disappointed me in that you didn't announce that you're running for president this year. And I keep thinking you're going to announce, but finally, you know, we just had Super Tuesday last night. You weren't, you weren't there. It's getting a little late. I guess you're going to sit this one out, but if you think about whoever the next president of the United States is, what would be maybe the top one, two, or three problems you hope that person is, is going to be tackling? I think we have to have, uh, we have to build a culture of uh, an, uh, an aspirate, a culture of embarking on an aspirational but achievable approach to, to lifting our country and the world up. Uh, it has to be aspirational, but it ha just like I believe our book is, we go from aspiration, we, we start with an aspiration, which is envision, and then we try and get all the way to an application, which is practical and realistic. And I think uh, the leaders of our country, this one man's opinion, Need to, need to create a culture that is aspirational, but also anchored in, in uh, reality. Here in Philadelphia, here in Philadelphia, I've been working here for 20 years. The culture of Philadelphia, they want you to aspire to the ideal, but they want you even more importantly to keep it real. <laughs> aspire to the ideal, but keep it real. And I think that's the nature of what we need to do uh, in our country and, and not easy. You know, uh, Stephen Covey had a great line. It applied to work life, but it applies to this, concept, this subject. You know, he used to say, you can't talk your way out of something you behaved your way into. You got to <laughs> behave your way out of it. And we have a lot of rhetoric going around how talking our way out of this. But there's a lot of behavior that's got to uh, be modeled here that hasn't been modeled for quite a while. Fantastic. 
Doug, your new book is The Blueprint, Six Practical Steps to Lift Your Leadership to New Heights. It's available everywhere. Great books are sold, of course. And we will be uh, sending everyone to the link conantleadership.com to get information about the book, of course, but also The Blueprint Bootcamp, which uh, I highly recommend everybody uh, check out. Doug, best of luck with the book and thanks for coming on to the uh, LeadX Leadership Show. It's always good to work with you. Thank you. Thanks, Doug. Friends, if you like this episode of the LeadX Leadership Podcast, please take a minute, leave a rating on iTunes or Stitcher. Ratings are invaluable for attracting new listeners. And I like to convert those listeners into leaders because you know I'm on a mission to spark 100 million leaders in the next 10 years. And if you wanna become the boss everyone fights to work for and nobody wants to leave, check out the LeadX platform with Coach Amanda at leadx.org. And if you have 10 or more managers who could use some binge-worthy training, send me an email at info at leadx.org, L-E-A-D-X and we'll talk about getting you set up with a totally free pilot for those managers. See if they like it. If they don't, that's fine. We go away. Part as friends. But if they love it, you've just found yourself a new resource for them. Remember, leadership is influence. You're always leading. How are you going to lead today? <laughs>